Hey there, welcome to Fleet FYIs, the weekly podcast by Utilimark that reveals how you can make the most of your data for Sperner fleet management. My name is Gretchen, and every week you'll hear from me and some of the industry's finest in candid conversations that will shed some light on not only two decades worth of data insights, but some of the industry's hottest talking points and key metric analysis with the aim to help you better understand your fleet from every angle. But before we begin, if this is the first time you've heard our show, thanks for stopping by. I'm so glad you decided to come along for the ride with us. But I've got a quick favor to ask you. Once you've finished today's episode, if you could take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, we would really appreciate it. Give us a rating, five stars I hope, or tell us what you liked or leave us a comment or a question about what you've heard in today's episode. But if we haven't yet covered a topic that you're interested in hearing more about, let us know. We would be happy to go over it in detail in a later episode. If that sounds good to you, let's get back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. How are you all doing? It feels so good to be back in front of the microphone after our short summer break, and we are back with some exciting guests and upcoming episodes that I am positive that you will love. But let's get into the topic for today, because this is one that grabbed my attention super quickly, and not just because this initiative caught my eye in the form of racing automotive first. I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a big fan of IndyCar and F1, but that wasn't the reason that it caught my eye. Instead, it's another win for sustainability. We're talking about alternative fuels and green refineries, and if you remember the solo episode that we published a few weeks ago, this is sort of a continuation of that conversation with a bit of a different spin. And the episode I'm referring to here is the one on e-fuel, which you haven't if you haven't listened to it yet, you absolutely should. It's a topic that actually I find quite fascinating, but perhaps I'm a bit biased. So we have to ask, are green refineries a viable option for fuel production in the future? And yes, they do exist, believe it or not, which I think is a major win for the sustainability lovers out there. But for a bit of context, though, since the beginning of the 1900s, the U.S. has relied on fossil fuels pretty strongly, like petroleum, natural gas, and coal, more so than any other energy source that is widely available. And I think it's completely understandable as to why. I mean, if you break it down, fossil fuels are cheap to produce, they're abundant and reliable, and ultimately, they have all of the infrastructure in place to make production relatively easy. But what about hitting our climate targets going forward? Because we know that organizations, OEMs, and even the federal government, and for, for that matter, governments around the world are all making sustainability commitments to be, or try to be on ta- track for hitting our climate targets in the, fi- in the future, like 2050 and beyond. Electric vehicles, in a sense, are helping with this, right? Because electric vehicles, they're rising in popularity, and it's clear to see on both the fleet and the consumer front, you know, even if we're getting into the luxury automotive space. But the question is, for those that aren't planning to electrify, and again, consumers or fleets, but if they want to make their internal combustion engines more sustainable or vehicles with internal combustion engines in them, what are the options here? In this episode, we're digging into the what, where, why, how, and logistics. So if you're ready, let's jump into a quick little chat about green refineries. So 
what exactly is a green refinery? Let's get started by digging into what exactly it is, or actually we can start by delving into a couple of the reasons as to why the creation of green refineries is so exciting, at least to me. So firstly, on the front of climate and environment protection, science and several studies have shown that both the production and the use of fossil fuels contribute heavily to climate change through air and water pollution, Um, also habitat destruction, and even dangerous mining disasters or oil spills, which isn't good, right? We're all on board with that. And even though right now, I will say, I just, I don't think that personally, I don't think the US or even the world for that matter could simply stop using fossil fuel tomorrow. I mean, it's just not possible. But the second reason is fossil fuels are non-renewable. We're all aware of this by now. So what that means is that when they run out in the currently projected 50 to 100 years, they'll be gone for good. So I guess in a sense, you could say that the sooner we invest in the infrastructure for generating renewable energy, such as wind and solar, or build green refineries for cleaner fuel production and lessen our dependence and reliance on our electric grid, the better off future generations will be right? So let's get into the what here. What exactly is a green refinery? Because I'm sure you guys want to know at this point. Green refineries, you can also call them biorefineries, are built with the purpose of transforming raw biomass into liquid fuel. The process then repurposes materials like vegetable oils or animal fats, crops, or algae into quote-unquote biofuels such as ethanol or biodiesel that replace traditional petroleum-based fuels, which is actually kind of interesting when you think about it. Um, So breaking it down even further, ethanol is a plant-based fuel, which I'm sure you all have heard of by now. It was a really big thing a few years ago. Um, But it is created through the natural process of fermentation. So um, in this process, non-food biomass is metabolized by microorganisms to create a renewable fuel that can be mixed with traditional gasoline and significantly cut down on harmful emissions. If you go to the gas pump today or any time within the next week or months or years, you'll probably see that the current unleaded gasoline, what it has in it is a certain percentage of ethanol in its fuel mix. So sometimes I think the current rate is up to 15%, depending on which one you go for. So you're still seeing it out today. The other piece of this, biodiesel, is another renewable liquid fuel that is produced by mixing repurposed materials such as animal fats and vegetable oils with alcohol. So the petroleum diesel alternative is then used to power compression ignition engines in the same way, but with the benefit of turning something that would otherwise be discarded, like restaurant grease, into an energy source, which big win because then the restaurants don't have to contribute to a massive source of waste and also we get to repurpose it. Win-win, I think. (laughs) But a newer development that might get some heads turning is actually one that's being tested today by ExxonMobil and Porsche. And Porsche is actually the piece that got my um, myself so interested in this topic at first um, because they are delving into synthetic fuel, otherwise known as e-fuel. And like I said, if you would have listened to the episode that came out a few weeks ago, and it might have been about five or six weeks ago at this point, what they were talking about is this new e-fuel initiative that's going to be um, launched in there. I want to say it's the 911 GT3. It's one of their racing model vehicles, and they were going to be testing to see how efficient e-fuel was. I mean, in this case, it's racing, but who's to say that it won't make its way to fleet? You never know. But I digress. Anyways, (laughs) this eco-friendly fuel is being developed in southern Chile right now as part of the Haru Oni project, and it's being made by combining hydrogen with carbon dioxide captured from the atmosphere. So in reality, it's pulling the pollutants back out of the air that um, 
otherwise internal combustion engines or even ICE vehicles that are, you know, currently utilizing an e-fuel might create or contribute to the environment, it's taking it back out. So in a sense, it becomes carbon neutral. But the cool thing about this project is that the refinery itself takes advantage of the location's windy conditions to power the separation of water into hydrogen and oxygen. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they do this with a massive fan system. It's really interesting. And I'll put a link to um, our information based on the study in the description of this episode. But from there, the then captured CO2 is combined with the hydrogen to produce a synthetic methanol. And as more automakers, at least I think, move forward with the electrification of future car models, or even if you start to look at people that are delving into the hybrids, it's important to remember that there are still a significantly large amount of internal combustion engine vehicles still on the road. They're not going to go away tomorrow. They're not even going to go away next week. So the big thing is, is e-fuels are a perfect complement, or you could say perfect, you know, perhaps the energy um, efficiencies aren't exactly equal in um, a traditional petrol versus an e-fuel right now, but that's not to say it couldn't happen in the future. But my point is, you know, they could be a perfect complement to EV implementation because they could potentially create the opportunity to use what we already have that being internal combustion engine vehicles, in a smarter and greener way. So you can keep your internal combustions on the road, but you can still be more sustainable in doing so. Again, another win-win. Alrighty, now we're going to get into the logistics here, because I'm sure you probably are all wondering, alrighty, what's the benefit of a green refinery? Because you can say that the refinery is green all you want, but if you have a traditional refinery making e-fuel or you have a green refinery making e-fuel, what's the benefits here, right? So I'm sure you've all heard, especially with the extreme weather conditions going on in Texas, how a lot of politicians or even just local governments are concerned about our current reliance on the electric grid. And they're concerned about it for good reason. Um, And when we're talking about sustainable alternative fuels, I think one key component to remember, especially as you're really digging into this argument, is that if you have an alternative fuel that you're creating, whether it's carbon neutral or, you know, just significantly reducing carbon emissions, it can't truly be a green fuel, or at least so the experts say, unless it's created in a green refinery. Because if you have a refinery that is relying on coal-powered electricity from the electric grid that powers your home, my home, or really anything else that we use on a day-to-day basis, is the fuel really truly sustainable? Some people say no. So, as with any new technology or product, you know, a thorough cost-benefit analysis must be done to see if it's truly worth pursuing. Same goes to be said for green refineries, same goes to be said for alternative fuels. And though e-fuels aren't one of the biggest players in the game as of yet, the results and benefits of their use are already gaining interest around the world. You might be asking why. Well, the biggest reason as I kind of touched on before, is zero emissions. And this is probably the most evident benefit of producing green fuel alternatives is the major cutback on CO2 emissions. With transportation being, I want to say, either the largest or one of the top three largest contributors of greenhouse gas emissions, a combination of electric vehicle implementation and using carbon-neutral e-fuels will make a monumental difference. 
in theory. In California, even, biodiesel was responsible for the majority of the state's greenhouse gas reductions within the transport sector, showing the promising results that it could have if it was globally adopted. So that's kind of interesting to look at. The second piece of this is easy implementation, because I know that one of the biggest concerns of EVs, and this is no secret, right? You know, it's not rocket science. People are concerned that right now our infrastructure is built around fueling stations and um, petrol-based fuel, right? We have the infrastructure for it. There's the gas stations, there's the pumping and filling stations, all of that. Um, And getting these EV chargers in can be a little bit of a struggle, but... If you look at the implementation of like a biodiesel or an e-fuel, they use the same infrastructure that a traditional petrol-based fuel would also use. So you'd be able to fill up your car with the same thing. Compared to strategies for producing other renewable energies, biofuels don't require nearly as many changes in equipment, like I said, you know, both for oil refineries and for internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, Oil companies can actually repurpose current infrastructure for e-fuel production, whilst major fleets can actually get away with keeping their internal combustion engines around a little bit longer, and there's no guilt associated. Plus, you can just drive to the pump and be able to fill it up as per normal. Double win there. Um, But then the next thing is, which I think a lot of people are a little concerned about, is the price point, right? Because you hear about this new and innovative technology and you want to make sure that it's actually affordable. Because I want to say when they started to introduce, you know, EVs, and this was um, perhaps five, ten years ago. The price point was so steep that it made it really difficult, not just for fleets, but also for consumers, everyday consumers, if they didn't have a load of um, pocket money to be able to buy into it, even if they were really interested in owning an electric vehicle. But the thing is, is unlike fossil fuels or unlike, um, you know, EVs initially, and I will say initially because the price is coming down now that wide scale adoption and current production is up, um, e-fuels being produced from biomass don't experience the same volatility in pricing. Reason being, traditional fuels are a little bit more dependent, actually far more dependent, on oil prices, making it hard for companies to forecast transportation expenses in regard to fuel consumption. Because, as we all know, sometimes the price at the fuel pump can be way up over five bucks, and sometimes it can be under two. I prefer the under two. (laughs) But additionally, biofuel production, it's already being subsidized in many countries, which can actually help to keep the production costs down and stable, meaning It costs also less for consumers like me and you and also for fleets that are looking to incorporate it into their fuel mix that they're currently using. Building off of that one, biofuels and also even looking at the production of alternative fuels, they're increasing in availability. So similar to the EV argument, as interest in the cleaner alternative is peaked, the availability of bio-based fuel is growing. Um, For example, the California Air Resources Board estimated that biodiesel production has grown from 16 million gallons in 2011 to nearly 1 billion gallons in 2020, with even more growth to be expected later on down the line which is pretty insane. And fuel producers like Marathon in California and Repsol in Spain are actually announcing multi-million dollar plans to build new synthetic fuel plants or repurpose current petroleum refineries for e-fuel production, which again, great news for sustainability lovers, and it could be a really interesting way to see if we can actually keep the efficiency of e-fuel to be similar, if not almost the exact same as a current petrol-based fuel. 
So second, or I shouldn't say second, it's actually the last one, not second to last. The last benefit that I want to talk to you about today is investment opportunity. So for example, um, the project in the Haru Oni plant in Chile, there's a great opportunity to build green refineries in desert areas that consistently have windy conditions and little to no current infrastructure. You know, if it makes sense for the environment and the studies are done and it's cleared. Though, What I think is that it will require major investment to be able to build one of those refineries from the ground up. I mean, we we know this. It's not cheap to build infrastructure, and it's definitely not cheap to build refineries. But the area's population will hopefully, you would think, be able to reap tremendous benefits and hopefully take advantage of their optimal location, right? So potentially, it could be beneficial for everybody that's even in the area, too. Here's the part that I'm sure a lot of people are really looking forward to. So we've talked about the benefits. The benefits are great, but what about the drawbacks? Because, of course, there's got to be some, right? So despite so many benefits to replacing the carbon-intensive petroleum-based fuels, there are still challenges and roadblocks ahead that will slow the adoption of biofuels. And the first and foremost of these is public acceptance, which actually seems to be the case for pretty much any new technology innovation or any new technology um, development. It just seems to be. And when introducing anything new, you know, a change in attitude and understanding of how this product can improve our lives is crucial for public acceptance. We all know this, and it's not just me because I'm a marketer that I'm saying that. However, it's basically the idea that biofuel needs to be seen as a viable solution for the world's urgent climate problems. Because if it's not seen as one a viable solution, you know, people aren't going to invest in it, right? You need to be able to give them a reason to want to invest in it. And also, you can't make it way more expensive than the current fuel already on the market, because then again, cheaper alternative, people will go for the less expensive option unless they have the ability and the disposable income to be able to adjust where they want to spend their money. And also, the biggest thing, I think, is you actually need to make sure that it's efficient, because even if you make it a similar price point, say, for example, I think, what is gasoline now? Roughly, at least in my area, it's about $3 a gallon. So even if you made e-fuel or biofuel at $3 a gallon, are you going to get the same amount of mileage out of a $3 a gallon e-fuel, or are you going to get more mileage out of a $3 a gallon petrol-based fuel? question still up in the air. But the biggest thing that I think is, well, I should say maybe not the biggest thing because this is this is a key part, but it's not the biggest. Politicians play a really, really, really big role in these attitude shifts because this isn't necessarily just a one-party issue. I think sustainability is in best interest for everyone because in truth, the what the core of sustainability means, and here's the word nerd coming out of me, so I'm going to give you another definition. Sorry for that. Um, the core of what sustainability really means is that you're trying to protect your assets and you're also trying to protect your environment to be around for years to come. So in that case, it might be your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. You basically, at least I would hope, you would want the world to be the same, if not better, for them as it is for you right now right? That, that's all sustainability really means. It's not, it's not always the EVs and the alternative fuels. It's just making sure that your environment is conserved and you still have the resources to be able to live. 
So politicians, big part of that. That's basically what all of that was supposed to mean. But then also, we really need to look towards research authorities and oil giants here because oil giants are actually going to be a really big part of the reason why e-fuel or biodiesel can be successful because actually they're going to be the ones that are producing it because they have the infrastructure in place to do so. It's just, again, it's shifting the attitude. It's also looking to make sure that this is a feasible and hopefully successful way that we can try and hit climate targets. Without cooperation from all of these parties, individually and together, investment into and the development of green refineries or even just refineries that can create e-fuel, it won't happen on a large scale, or if it does, it's going to be years in the future. And branching off of that again, because I think that all of these are in a sense related, the second piece of this and second to last is we're looking at production costs here. Because again, you know, like we said earlier in the episode, any new technology, any new technology development is going to be much more expensive in its early stages than it will be in its latter stages when it's widely accepted and widely used and widely produced. That's just the nature of retail. That's just the nature of consumable goods. And as e-fuels are still in early development stages, their prices don't nearly compete with those of fossil-based fuels. Um, according to the E-Fuel Alliance trade group, e-fuels, I think, can be up to six times more as exp- more expensive as um, they're trying to produce them as other traditional liquid fuels are, which ugh, that's not so good. Um, but, you know, the thing is, it's like I said, that's just the that's just the nature of a new technology development. And it will likely take many years before e-fuel prices can compete with with regular fuels. It'll take time. It's not to say that it won't happen. It'll just probably happen later on down the line. But the fact that we have something to look forward to is quite nice indeed. And with that, we bring to the table the last piece of our challenges to e-fuels and green refineries segment, and that is the fact that there is no short-term benefits. I bet you could see that one coming from a mile away. (laughs) Um, As it stands, it is unlikely that governments will want to invest millions into projects that will not have any payback for many years to come. I think if you've ever heard of the solar panel on your house argument of, oh my gosh, well, if I install it now, will I start to see the benefits tomorrow? Will I start to see them in five years, 10 years, 15? Depends on where you live and depends on how much energy you use, right? It will only take time to tell. And the thing is, with insufficient research and infrastructure to support an immediate switch to biofuels and also the fact that that would just be plainly difficult to do, the road to replacing traditional fuels with green alternatives will probably and most definitely be a long one. So I know you're probably wondering now, what in the world does this mean for fleets? Because that's why you're on this podcast, right? Because it's called Fleet FYIs. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) I promise. I think I'm funnier than I actually am. But in theory, the development of e-fuels, they can be a huge opportunity for fleets of vehicles and aircraft and even shipping vessels. Fleet managers, I think, are exploring various alternatives to their current practices, and there can actually be great potential if biofuels are integrated into their climate change strategies, or even just long-term sustainability strategies for that matter. 
And, you know, the advent of these fuels will be especially beneficial to fleets who aren't ready to get rid of their internal combustion engine vehicles entirely or who can't yet make the investment to replace their entire fleet with EVs just because the price point's a little bit higher. So it's an interesting trade-off to look at from that perspective. But ultimately, what I want you to keep in mind is that the road to zero emissions will not have a one-size-fits-all solution. I think we've known that for a long time. It's not going to switch tomorrow. And not every sustainability strategy is going to work for every organization and every fleet, even though, sure, would it be easier if that was the case? Of course. Introducing yet another sustainable option for companies looking to cut down on greenhouse gas emissions, in addition to the many other established alternatives, can actually help make significant strides overall. So like I said, not a one-size-fits-all approach. Really, the biggest thing is that you need to go with what works best for your organization and what works best for your fleet. While biofuels might not be the answer to the problem as a whole, it will likely be one of the crucial pieces in solving the puzzle, as will electrification, as will waste reduction, and all of that. So I hope you keep in mind what alternative fuels could mean for your fleet. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. We're always available to chat. You can go to utilimark.com forward slash live demo if you'd like to speak to an analyst about any concerns or questions regarding the availability of alternative fuels and also how it could work with your fleet based on your custom data set. We're always happy to help there. But if you have any thoughts on alternative fuels or sustainability practices as a whole, I'd love to hear about them. Send them my way via email. My contact information, as always, is available in the description of this episode. So just click on the expand button. You'll find it there. Or you can get in touch on LinkedIn by using the hashtag UtilimarkFleetFYIs. I'd love to get in touch with everyone there. And I always love to connect with you outside of this show. So let me know what you think. I am so looking forward to hearing your thoughts on alternative fuels because this, I can guarantee, will not be the last time that you hear them about them on Fleet FYIs. So until next week, that is all from me. I hope you all have a lovely weekend and I will see you back in your headphones next Thursday. Ciao. Hey there, I think this is the time that I should cue the virtual high five because you've just finished listening to another episode of the Fleet FYI's podcast. If you're already wanting more content, head over to utilimark.com, which is utilimark with a C, U-T-I-L-I-M-A-R-C.com for the show notes and extra insights coming straight from our analysts to you. That's all from me this week. So until next time, I'll catch you later.